I grew up on a big cattle ranch in the high desert country of Oregon. A lot of folks maybe don't realize that Oregon is really diverse. It's divided into one-third that most everybody hears about on the east, uh, west side of the Cascades. But I grew up on the east side where we used to pray for rain. My grandfather homesteaded. He rode horseback and whatever from Indiana and went out to Oregon and homesteaded. And he ended up in probably the most desolate part of the state that he could. I often ask him, why in the heck did you end up here with all this beautiful land in Oregon? He said by the time he got there, all the, all the good land was taken. But anyway, my, my grandfather, uncle, and dad all had uh, consecutive ranches in uh, about 10,000 acres or so. So I grew up on a big cattle ranch, and I rode horses to school uphill both ways, as my kids hate to hear. But <laughs> I did. I went to a one-room uh, schoolhouse with... Uh, uh, outdoor privies for boys and girls. We were segregated even in those days. Wow. And uh, I think the, one of the old privies is still standing anyway. From there, I went to uh, high school down in Portland. And like a lot of young kids, uh, maybe began to go astray a bit. And about the third time I came up in front of a judge, he said, son, uh, you're going in the wrong direction. You have two <laughs> choices, and both of them are the military. The other choice is jail. So anyway, I went in the Went to the Navy at age 17 on a little program in the old days they called the Kitty Cruise. And you went in before you were 18, got out before you were 21. And although I probably wasn't the best sailor in the world, it was the, uh, it was the best thing that, that could have happened to me. I grew up a little bit. I got the GI Bill. Uh, I picked a subject that I knew absolutely nothing about, which was electronics. So I was electronic tech in the Navy and then got out and uh, got a double E degree, uh, actually ultimately down in Miami. I've, I've been to eight colleges and kicked out all of them. But I, I, finally, uh, I finally graduated from the University of Miami. This, this saddle was made for my grandfather when he was a young man in a little town in Oregon called the Dalles, which is on the Columbia River. And both my mother and, and, and uncle rode this saddle. And this was made for my, for my grandfather in 1907. So it's, one of my more wow. prouder displays down here at the winery as well. And it's very ornate with all the, the detail on the top. Probably there. was. You know, in, in those days, uh, the, saddle were, the saddles were workman saddles. You know, they, I've got several oh, show saddles and parade saddles in here that are a little bit more ornate with silver and, and that sort of thing on. But these were, these were a working man's saddles. So they, 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 you know, played with them a little bit, but certainly not... You know, they were they were primarily for functional. Did you ever have the chance to ride in the oh, saddle? Of course. Oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yet I will tell you, it's 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 uh, it's a little hard and it's a little deep seated. Uh, I have other saddles that I prefer to ride in, but I think just uh, just being able to set my fanny down where my where my family did is uh, is kind of fun as well. Mm -hmm. uh, what brought me out here, though, was that uh, after I got out of uh, a two-year engineering school in Oregon, after getting out of the Navy, uh, I was recruited uh, for a government position. So I came across uh, in 1963 in a 57 Ford, exactly like the one I've got outside. Um, of course, no credit cards, no GPS, uh, no interstate. I, I had a hundred bucks in my pocket. That was all the money I had. Uh, I figured later that it cost me 65 bucks in gas to come across, so I had a whole 35 bucks for breakdown and food and whatever. My very first car was a 1949 Mercury. Oh, okay? nice. If, if you ever saw, was it, was it Blackboard Jungle, 
I, th I think it might have been might have been Blackboard Jungle, but anyway, they had a 49 Merc. They were racing. One of the guys had a leather jacket on, and he got his leather part of his leather jacket caught in the in the door, and he actually ran off the cliff. So, anyways, I I, I, I had a 49 Merc. Anyway, so that was my first. I bought that 49 Merc for 300 bucks, and I worked all summer long oh my at my God. old man's uh, ranch. Uh, earning enough money to buy my buy my first vehicle, so this was the second. Of course, I, I didn't have any for for quite a while. I think I told you earlier that I kind of ran into some difficulty in my youth, and mm -hmm. I ended up. I think at one time I had 21 tickets before I was 17. Lost my driver's license three times, and, <laughs> and so I didn't uh, I didn't didn't have cars. So for was a while, no anyway. was all was all this in the Mercury that you were talking about? Uh, it was it was in the Merc. Yeah, yeah. yeah because by the time I got in the Navy. And then bought this. I'd I'd maybe begun to grow up just a little bit. See, I feel like you need to get one of those and put it right next to it and have oh, it as like a shrine. I got to I got I got to have a forty nine mark. Yeah. Absolutely. Does she have a name? The car does not have a name. Hmm. Thank you for asking. Remember what, I, remember what I told you about my horses. Yes. I'm still waiting for it to speak to me <laughs> after fifty years. Wow. You got a good name. I don't know. I, my first car was Stella, and she lived up to her name, broken down on the side of the road with me screaming, Stella! Right. <laughs> what about the Mercury? Did you name your Mercury? No. No, no we, wait, I don't know. Guys didn't come up with names for their cars. But, they're, they're, you know, I'll tell you, in my day, car was more than just a car. Mm -hmm. It was... Well, it was a whole lot of things, some of which we probably can't talk about on camera, but, you know, it was your way to, to escape. I mean, as a, as a guy that got you out, and, of course, uh, you might put a whole buck in it, you know, because that about, that's about all the money you had. That might get you about four gallons of gas. So Linda and I ran out of gas a lot, <laughs> some, sometimes on purpose. She sounds like a, a true, true uh, trooper. Absolutely. Well, talk to her about me taking her to Africa, and so yeah, she's <laughs> she's followed me around some places sometimes. Yeah. Remember the story about uh, the one wine that's called Unhitched. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Th there's a reason that it's named. Okay. <laughs> now, dice in the mirror. Is that is that oh, how it was originally? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Th this this is an exact replica. You know, I mean, of course, it is a '57 Ford, right. but I mean, same color, same interior. Yeah, same engine, stick shift, overdrive. You had to have dice in those days. I even got little dice on my. You know, oh, I didn't even notice these, okay. didn't I? Yeah, got got them on my on my tires as well. So that that was the end thing in in those days. Oh, and, that's and great. And as well, you might look in the back. Well, I was going to ask you about this well, this some back octopuses. here. And yeah. Your your girlfriends always always had to make you the the octopuses. And again, I I don't know why they were so popular in those days, but clearly I had to have a purple purple octopus did, like did, I, like I had. Did did Linda end up making these for you? Well, I'm going to at least say that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds good. That sounds Don't good. There might have been, I know, I'm going to get him in trouble. <laughs> well, there might have been more than one girlfriend, you know. It's been a long time. Yeah, oh. It's been a long time since I've had one. That's pretty good. Oh, man. Anyway, I got here in 63 and, and went to work for the federal government and then spent the next 31 years bopping around the world a bit and going to various schools, as I said. Finally ended up retiring 20 years ago this year wow, uh, from that job. And I then went back to my roots. Here I am rambling on, but went back to my roots and I here I started 
uh, a horse and cattle ranch. Uh, it's still a horse ranch. Became a breeder. Uh, I became a, oh, I guess they now call me a natural horse trainer, and that 25 cents might get you a cup of coffee. But uh, I'm, I'm a trainer, usually a trainer of horses that uh, break people up a little bit. Sometimes they break me up. Over the course of my breeding program, I, uh, I made a, a breeding DVD, which is, uh, I'm told anyway, probably the most comprehensive breeding DVD out on the market. It's four hours. I start off trying to talk folks out of the endeavor. <laughs> well, because so many people get in and, and don't know what the heck they're doing. You know, they're not yeah. prepared. They're not prepared financially. They're not qualified. They don't have the space. You know, they, they end up with this little baby that, that nuzzles them and, oh, isn't it cute for them to jump up on their shoulders? Pretty soon it's a thousand pound horse jumping up on them, you know, and, mm -hmm. and then they find out what, uh, you know, what their lack of training program was. So anyway, I made this, uh, I'm, I'm kind of one of those, uh, oh, I don't know, driven guys, I guess, and I wanted to learn more about the whole horse breeding program, and so I, I put together this uh, breeding DVD. Uh, that takes people right from the conception, uh, truly, in more ways than one. Um, <laughs> up very, to, very I've got uh, uh, two live births on the, uh, uh, on, on the film, and training the young baby and weaning the young baby and halter training and all that. Sell it all over the world. And the, uh, I guess that wasn't enough for me. I, uh, I planted grapes about 10 years ago and began to make wine just for the family, as I had made for probably some 45, 50 years or whatever. When I grew up on the ranch, if you, wanted, uh, if you wanted beef, you raised it. If you wanted a garden, you raised it. And if you wanted beer and wine, you made it. My mom was the maker, and she made awful stuff. And, uh, <laughs> I followed in her footsteps, and I made awful stuff, you know, out of oak leaf and dandelions and rocks. And then one time I said, grapes? God, you think we ought to maybe try grapes? So, anyway, I made. It's a lot softer uh, than rocks. Yeah, well, it is. But you can, you know, you can add sugar and water, and you can make wine out of anything. So, okay. you know, it doesn't really matter. But I, I made, I made wine all over the world, even in Greece. Uh, we lived in Greece for three years, and you would think that uh, at one of the heart of wine civilization that they would have made great wine, but they actually made awful wine. Really? Absolutely. I, I'll give you an example. I, I wanted to make wine there one time, and, and through the interpreters in the embassy, um, we found a, a vineyard down in, a, down in the Peloponnese, which is a couple hours from Athens. Of course, you're not speaking the language very well, and the traffic in, in Athens is pretty wild. So, loaded up the family in my truck, and off we go, and I finally find this place. I very specifically had asked for red wine, or red grapes anyway, because I wanted to make red wine. Uh, anyway, we ended up down there, and all they had was, was white. I was, okay, somewhat incensed after all that effort and whatever. <laughs> uh, so the, the, the Greeks have a word, and it's called benbriazi. And it kind of means, it'll be okay, never mind, whatever. So one of them said to me, benbriazi, just add food color. So that, oh, uh, oh. you know, that, that gave you an example of what kind oh, yeah, of wine yeah. that they were. That's pretty telling. Yeah. So anyway, I planted my grapes here 10 years ago, and... Uh, began to make wine for the family, and then planted some more and planted some more, and that hobby got out of hand, and it looks like you've got one of those that's happening with your recording efforts. Absolutely. Okay, <laughs> Absolutely. I, I can relate to that. Yeah. So I, I, th there's a legal limit of how much you can make for the family, and uh, 
I uh, then began to exceed that, and so I sold grapes for a while to a local winery down the road, and of course there's no money in that. And I said, I'm, I'm losing money in the horse business, I might as well lose some more and start a winery. So, <laughs> so that's what I did. We should be friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The namesake of, of our name here at the winery is called Desert Rose, and it's both a flower, and, but it's also a, a rock formation, and these come from the, uh, Saudi Arabia, and this is called a Desert Rose flower from Saudi Arabia. They, uh, I, I understand they weren't supposed to leave the kingdom, but something happened. They must have got <laughs> stuffed in my luggage inadvertently or something, I guess. You go to a lot of wineries and, and they talk in some really convoluted language about, uh, you know, don't you taste uh, leather or tobacco? I, you know, I don't smoke. Why do I want to taste, you know, leather or tobacco in my, in my wines or, I don't know, the essence of guava in limestone? Or I don't know where they get all these things. But we got a saying here that shouldn't it just taste like grapes? So that's, you come into here and you get, uh, you know, I think kind of a low-key, I hope, fun atmosphere and we poke a little fun at ourselves and a little fun at the at the industry and we start with our names but the names have got to be, be meaningful and one of the things I learned from the Bedouins in the desert about breeding horses is that they never pre-name their foals. They, they say the babies have got to be born and then the baby has got to talk to them. It's got to you know tell them their personality or their markings or whatever and that's how they name their babies. Well I did the same thing in my horse breeding but I then did the same thing in, in my wines as well. They had to, they, to me they had to have a story other than just the wine. I mean, the wine is a wine, okay? Um, so we started off uh, with our very first wine, uh, which is a white Chardonnay that we called uh, Hitch Hollow. Hitch Hollow was a community on our property dating back to the late 1800s. And it was, as a standard, like a lot of those little communities, it had a little wayside inn and a farrier and, and so on. And I, I say that I like to kind of commemorate and honor those those folks who trumped my land before I did, and you know maybe we'll leave a little bit of land for somebody else to trump. So this is our Hitch Hollow Chardonnay, 100% Chardonnay that I aged in French oak. I don't do everything in French oak. I kind of wait for kind of a, a specific one that uh, is age-worthy and one that has some good fruit. My uh, my French oak barrels can cost me about $1,100 or so a barrel. And that's versus four to six hundred dollars for for American or Hungarian. So you kind of want to save your you know your better wines for uh, for the French oak that uh, that are age worthy enough. So we're starting off with our Hitch Hollow Chardonnay. All right, she now she knows what she's doing. But what do I need to do in terms? Do I need to spin it around? All you need to do is drink. Okay, okay, that's it. We uh, we don't do a lot of standing on ceremony here. You know, we, we can throw in a lot of convoluted adjectives if that's what you want. But one I'd, thing I'd prefer to keep it simple myself. There you go. Well, you know, one of the things I find, you go to a lot of wineries and they, they want to tell you what, what you're tasting. Quite frankly, I think that's a little presumptuous on my part. The, uh, the second one is another Chardonnay that's a little lighter oaked and maybe with just a hint of Viognier and a drop of sugar. And its name is Unhitched. And the reason it, uh, that I picked that one is that... Uh, Linda and I, if she allows it, will celebrate 50 this year. Although she doesn't say celebrate, she says remember. So we're, we're going to remember 50 this year. But like a lot of folks that have been married a long time, um, 
maybe not every year, was right. total, total wedded bliss. <laughs> and uh, occasionally, uh, like when I took her to Africa uh, for a three-year tour one time, she used the word unhitched a lot, <laughs> as in I'm gonna get. So our, our second wine is called Unhitched Chardonnay. This particular wine is called Unhitched Chardonnay, and it's, I guess, a tribute to the fact that it hasn't happened yet. And I say yet, all right. She never, she never tells me that we have any, I have anything but a, a you know, a one-year lease. So what, hap <laughs> what happens this year might not be what happens next year. This be, this be a still hitched wife. Hi, I, come on in. What I say, this is. Uh, pass through and give away. Oh, she, oh, fair enough. Fair what enough. I say is, this is my last wife. <laughs> that's, that's a good way of putting yeah, it. That is yeah. a good way of putting it. <laughs> well, we're about halfway through. I don't know. I bored yeah. them to death so far. <laughs> what did I tell you? I like the oyster crackers. Do you want to do a complete tasting? Um, what you you you. I need to stand. So why don't you? I mean, you just want to do a little bit. We'll do we'll do a little bit for the filming. How about that? All right, too cool. Well, we're going to turn the page over because okay. our reds are and dessert wines are on this side. Chapter two. Whoop! That one was already okay. <laughs> That's right. That shows you how much we're. There you go. She's anxious. She's ready. Well, the first red that we're going to have is our is our 100% Cabernet Franc. Okay. Cab Franc is one of the five Bordeaux grapes, and it's the grape that does the best in Virginia for us. It year in and year out does better than Cabernet Sauvignon or Malot or some of the other uh, Bordeaux grapes. This particular uh, uh, grape for us won a, a gold medal at the Boca Raton South Florida wine competition recently, and there were only five golds given out. Uh, in uh, in the competition, three of them were were in uh, California. One was in Washington State, and ours was the only gold on the East Coast. So, wow. even though I don't enter a lot of competitions, I, I'm, I I don't dislike them quite as much as I used to anyway. So our our dessert wine then is is our port, but the name port is now trademarked by the Portuguese, much like. Champagne is, uh, has been trademarked by the French. So I had to come up with another name. You already indicated you're nautical. If it can't be port, you know, it must be, it must be starboard. Brilliant. That okay. is absolutely Clever. brilliant. So it's, uh, it's starboard. I do have a few others, and you named one. I've got one, one on the, on the uh, counter up behind me. Maybe it's a little takeoff on some of the things I did for 31 years, but... Uh, its name is Covert Cab. Yeah. What is unique about it is that uh, it is a, it's a grape that I'm the first grower in Virginia to have. Uh, it's a grape called Crimson Cabernet, and it's a true botanical cross between our native Virginia grape Norton and Cabernet Sauvignon. And uh, I have bottled as well only the second uh, vintage of it ever bottled in the world. So it's wow. getting us a fair amount of uh, airplay. Yeah, I kind of look around at, you know, at our operation and, and what's going to make us stand out and hopefully kind of being down home friendly is one, but uh, we, we've got to have two or three things that are unique and, and, and uh, this being one of them. So we, uh, we support a, a local humane society and we often donate funds to it and so on. And when I released this wine, since it was unique, we uh, ended up having a uh, an auction for the very first one. And uh, by golly, we auctioned it off for $600.
and wow. it stunned us. By the time it got to be at one or two or three hundred dollars, you know, holy moly, is this thing going to be worth that? But anyway, uh, it turned out one of my really old good friends, his family bought it for him surreptitiously, and uh, it's now been framed in a plaque and and so on. And uh, and that was for the Humane Society. Uh, well, I donated. I donated the funds to the right, Humane right, Society. That's right. Yeah, he that's uh, fantastic. he was a, he was a compatriot of mine. However, so maybe the uh, maybe the covert cab might have been meaning, meaningful for him as well. So, so well, we do have some other wines, but those are you know those are the the crux of them. We do have a, a fun little peach wine that uh, my brother lives near us, and he's got uh, a little dog that's uh, kind of our mascot. Her name is Gigi. And now, is that who the the, uh, the pictures that you sent to me? Yeah, was that yeah, that was Gigi. And, yeah, okay. that was Gigi, and she was uh, Miss November in the Virginia Wine Dog Calendar that you can oh. see up there last year. Oh, yeah, and uh, they lady. actually they actually came to us because she's got such a a name in the community that they came to us to include her in the uh, in the calendar. So I've made a a little peach wine for her that I call Gigi Peachy. Uh, made a vinegar for, and we've also made a, a peach jelly, all all named Gigi Peachy. So, anyway, <laughs> I that's... saw you. I saw in one of the pictures you sent to me. I saw you holding her, uh, and you have a full hazmat suit on, but she has nothing. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, well, she's oh she's my tough. Goodness. Yeah, she's tough. <laughs> she, she can take it. She can take it. Well, actually, what uh, that 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 is my whole spray outfit. Uh, for the vineyard, but uh, I was getting ready to go. I was wondering it. if you had a secondary operation going on behind the scenes. <laughs> the so, this is a this is an intense picture. No, and I tell you, in this case, we were going in a parade, so <laughs> so that that that's why she was included. In it. <laughs> it yeah, was, I uh, my my bro is, has got a motorcycle, and he often, but he's just got a little seat on the back that he stuffs her in, and uh, I often indicate to him, you know, I really don't care if he lays down the bike you know, if, uh, as far as he's concerned, but he can't hurt Gigi. Obviously, I traveled for those 31 years, and every place that I went, I, uh, I captured some money. I, I tried, I, I got current money, obviously, but I also tried to get historical money. So, uh, as an example, uh, I've got a, uh, a Japanese peso uh, from, uh, from the Philippines. When the Japanese took over, wow. uh, they actually printed money for a little while. I got a couple other bills in there that I was in a, in a vault one time in Iran, and, and I've got a couple of uncirculated uh, Russian bills that date back to uh, the Tsar. So I've got those in the, uh, in the bar top. And I put uh, oh Israel, Iran, and Iraq together, and they kind of got to talk to one another. So as I as I traveled over the years, I collected all this money. When I started out, I was very precise. I put it in a book and I annotated in the in the amount and and so on and so on. And after so many years, throw it in the in the book. And Linda would often say to me, "What are you going to do with it?" I, said, I don't know. Kind of like my foal babies. They haven't talked to me yet. Well, we got ready to to do the bar thing and. Uh, most of the artifacts that you see in in the winery here are again meaningful. We didn't go down to uh, the local bazaar and you know pick some stuff up. I got my grandfather's old saddle that was made for him in 1907 that my mom and, and uncle rode in, and, and that's the kind of thing that are displayed here. So we said the same thing for the bar top. It's uh, 
you know, let's, let's make it unique. Let's make it uh, something that uh, depicts our life. So I, I put the bills in the uh, and some of the coins in the in the bar top of the places that we've lived and visited around around the world. I started off trying to put them by by area or you know, geographical area, and that didn't work because the most of the bills are different size and so on. So they're pretty jumbled up in the bar top. And the coincidental thing is that that if you look at the bar top, there's only one section that's got several coins in it. And I ran out of bills. Uh, <laughs> and I just had, and I, I literally, in, in other words, had just about the right, my, uh, right amount of bills for the whole bar top. I used up every bit of my money in the, in the bar top. And that part wasn't pre-planned. So if you want to ask about countries, I've got a map on the wall right around the corner. And I've got it annotated with dots. And it's color-coded, oh, uh, the places that we've lived. Uh, and the yellow dots are primarily where I visited over the years to do work. Um, I've literally, uh, li literally traveled all over the world, with the exception of South America. There's a reason why I wasn't in South America that I'll, that I'll talk about off camera. OK. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, virtually the rest of the world is pretty well covered uh -huh. in, uh, in dots of some color anyway. So you can look at that maybe later and get, a, get an idea of the places we've lived and visited. So how did you and Linda meet over 50 years Well, ago? I met her at age 13. She, um, I like to say she's much older, but of course you know that's not true. <laughs> I was I was actually on the on the wrestling team with her brother, and uh, in high school, and her brother gave her uh, explicit directions not to have anything to do with me. And of course, <laughs> that's probably all that she needed. Now, was he bigger than you at the time? You, I'm sorry. The brother was he bigger than you at the time? No. I, well, I I was 155. He was 147. So I could kick his butt. Yeah. So you had him. Um, you had him. I, I had him, yeah, I had him. But I, you know, she was 13. Well, I'm not. I'm I'm a whole 17 at that right. point. So clearly, I'm not giving her any 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 look at all. But I I did go away in the Navy as I talked about earlier, and came back ostensibly looking for him. Uh, she was a little bit older and maybe maybe worthwhile looking at at this point. <laughs> in the area and to get him here on, on this special day for us on our third year anniversary is a real honor. Thank you so much for that. Look, he's, uh, he's, he's coming here and he's going to play his heart out. He's got some CDs over here that I hope you folks leave with. I got a little tip bucket here that, you know, this man is independently wealthy, but might need, might need some gas to get home with. So thank you for here today. Buy some of his CDs. We're not going to be sitting in our, in our seats very long. I know that because this man can play. And thank you, Robbie. Thank you so much. I've been trying to make it on my own. Finding out what really is going on. Sitting here. What's to come? Alright, folks, we're going to officially cut our third year anniversary. 
Right now, I got time to wait for 